0: Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Good morning, all. It it really is uh, a pleasure and a privilege to be up here this morning preaching in front of my church family. Uh, Let me pray, and then we can begin. Father, we do thank you that you call us all together uh, as one people, brothers and sisters of your Son. Help us, Lord, to hear your word and receive it uh, as you give it to us. And help me to preach faithfully as I should. In Jesus' name, Amen. A churchgoer prays for wisdom from God. They remain foolish. A man, tormented by Satan, prays over and over for that torment to be taken away. It remains with him. A parent prays for their sick child to be healed. The child dies. A son prays for his mother to be saved. She dies an unbeliever. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Matthew 7, 7. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Matthew twenty one twenty two. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. John 14, 14. Maybe you've read passages like these and then asked yourself, why doesn't God give me what I asked for? Maybe you've asked yourself that question this month as a church we've been fasting and praying. Now, of course, not all prayer is about asking for things. But asking is a part of prayer. It is something God encourages us to do. And the Bible shows us there are three basic answers to prayer when we ask God for something. The first answer is yes. God gives us what we ask for. This is obviously the answer that we want when we pray, You never ask for something you don't want. When we think of God answering prayer, what we're really thinking of is God answering yes. In fact, in the Bible, they use the term God answered my prayer to mean God gave me what I asked for. He answered yes to my prayer. And I hope you've all had this happen to you in your Christian life. You pray for a job and you find one. You pray for healing and you're healed. You pray for a spouse and one appears. <laughs> is, is that not what happened? For that was my experience. Every time we receive a yes answer to prayer... We are beneficiaries of God's incredible grace, his undeserved favor. We get to see God glorified. Our faith is strengthened just a little bit. We see good things happen in the world and we receive good things. All that is grace because we don't deserve to have our prayers answered. What I mean is God doesn't owe us a debt whereby he must repay us. We are the ones in debt to God eternally. And yet, God, like a loving father, provides for us as his children. He gives us things. He answers our prayers with a yes. And that's incredible. The second answer we can receive from God is wait. So we pray, and nothing happens immediately. Perhaps something has to change first, or maybe God gives us what we ask for, but it takes time. We can pray for something for a long time, even for years, before we finally see the result that we were seeking. Now, sometimes that's normal. So if you've ever had a child start university and you pray for them that they will pass all their subjects, you don't expect to wake up the next morning and they're off to graduation, right? Some things just take time and that's normal. But sometimes we pray for something that could happen immediately, but doesn't. Like a prayer for healing, which God could do miraculously in a moment, but sometimes he works through years of medical treatment. And sometimes God will only answer our prayer in eternity. If you have ever prayed for world peace, or if you've ever prayed, Lord, your kingdom come, please send Jesus back. If you have prayed, I wish there was no more pain. I wish there was no more hunger. I wish there was no more suffering. I wish there was no more injustice. God says yes to those prayers, but only in the new heaven and the new earth. We have to wait. And the thing is, eternity will be so fantastic that sometimes we just feel it burning in us and we just say, God, I want to see it now. And God's response is, it's coming. It's coming. Just wait. It's coming. And we should acknowledge that God is still wonderful when he answers, wait. Even if we have to wait years. Even if we have to wait into eternity. The fact that God will answer those prayers, that God will make all things new that we will be with him forever, there's nothing better than that. So we might get impatient, but the fact that God takes his time does not reduce how awesome he is. The final answer we can get when we pray to God for something is no. You do not get what you ask for. Sometimes, God does nothing. Sometimes, God does the opposite of what you asked. A no from God is not just a wait. A no is when a door gets closed. It's when something irrevocable happens that means this will never be. Give up hope on this, it says. And that's the answer to prayer that we will be looking at this morning when God says no. It can be hard for us when God says no to our prayers. Which of those three answers to prayer do you think is most likely to shake someone's faith in God, make them seriously wonder, can I keep on believing in him? I mean, yes is usually a boost to our faith, right? Wait, that can hurt, but at least there's some hope. But no can feel like God doesn't care. It can feel like God doesn't even hear us. And especially when we're praying about things we really care about, that can cause people to question their faith. If God says no to my prayers, can he even hear my prayers? Is he really able to do what I asked? Does God even love me? Well, thankfully, the Bible actually has some things to say about when God answers no. Because it's something that happens in the life of every single believer. And I think it's worth us looking into it. Because if we don't have the right understanding and the right attitude about God's answering no... That can shake us. But also, I think it's good to have an understanding about when God answers no to our prayers because it teaches us more about God and our relationship with him. It can help us in our prayer life to pray better prayers. And also, if we have a good understanding, it will actually strengthen our faith by helping us to understand Why might God have said no? I think even as Christians, we sometimes get into this way of thinking about God where we think, because God loves us and he wants what is best for us, if I pray and I don't get what I want, then he hasn't heard me or maybe he isn't listening or somehow prayer has broken down like it's run by MTC. But my friends, let me tell you something. Whenever there's a problem with anything, you know it is not God's fault. Right? The problem is never on God's end. Because God is perfect. God doesn't make mistakes. God is everywhere. And he hears everything. Even the thoughts in our heads and the feelings in our hearts, God knows them. In Romans 8 verse 26 and 27, which Rico actually has already alluded to this morning, he tells us God's spirit lives in us and it translates our rubbish prayers into these lovely poetic prayers that are a delight to God. Sweet words that we could never express. So the Holy Spirit is like prayer autocorrect. It's just it actually works. Prayer, in fact, is a perfect form of communication. The network is never down. The lines are always crystal clear. There's no language barrier. And best of all, God never misunderstands what we're trying to say. If you have ever felt like no one understands you, then pray, because God knows exactly what you mean. Now, as a perfect form of communication, prayer is obviously amazing. But, as simple, finite, imperfect human beings, we have a problem. We can get confused. We can be led astray. We can make mistakes. We can even deceive ourselves. So, the first thing the Bible has to say about prayers is that when we pray for something, we should ask ourselves, Why am I praying this prayer? We should reflect on our own motives, on our own heart what is the reason behind me praying for this? Because the Bible tells us that our attitude, the reason behind why we are praying, is important to God. And it can be a reason why God says no to our prayers. So I've come up with three questions that I think will help us examine ourselves when we pray. But you can even ask yourself these questions after you've prayed for something and maybe received no as the answer to see, does the problem lie with me? Reflecting on prayer is a really good habit. Uh, We should actually do it regardless of what answer we get. Uh, And it really helps us with prayers of thanksgiving to God as well when we reflect on our other prayers in our prayer life. But okay, here's my three questions. Question number one. This is the first question we should ask ourselves if we receive a no answer from God. Do I actually trust God at all? And you might be thinking, wow, Ben, uh, okay, you're going a little bit far here. I mean, maybe my prayer life is a little bit hit and miss, but... Are you questioning my faith right now? And the answer is, no, I'm not. Jesus is. Do you remember Matthew twenty-one, twenty-two that I read just a few moments ago? If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. The question is, do we really trust God to provide what is best for us when we ask for things? Let me tell you what the Apostle James has to say about this, because James is hardcore. In James chapter 1, verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You're like, ah, amen. Verse 6, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Wow. Now, it's important we pause for a moment there and realize this verse is not talking about what we might call faithful doubt. Uh, What do I mean by that? Do you remember the guy who brought his little boy to Jesus and the disciples and the disciples couldn't heal him? And so the man says to Jesus, If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus replies, If you can, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And what did Jesus do? He healed that little boy. That's not the kind of doubt that James is talking about here. No, James has his eyes set on a different kind of person. The kind of person that he calls double-minded and unstable in all they do. Wow, James. This is the kind of person who asks God for wisdom, but they really already know what they're going to (laughs) do. Because honestly, what has God got to offer them? They're going to do the worldly thing, right? They're going to do the thing that looks smart on earth. They're going to do the thing that provides worldly success, worldly fame, worldly riches. After all, if my actions produce such good results, then that must be the right thing to do, right? Well, that's not God's wisdom. And how dare you come to God asking for his heavenly wisdom while all the time you're looking over your shoulder at your back pocket going, what's this going to cost me? That's double-minded. If you don't trust that the things God will give you are good things, don't bother asking. That's what James is saying. Because you see, the paradox of trusting God and trusting that he knows best is that you must also trust that God knows best when he says no. And if you do trust God and he does say no, You're not alone. You're actually in very good company. Paul prayed to God, asking God to remove a thorn in his flesh, which he described as a messenger of Satan tormenting him. And he prayed for that three times. What was God's answer? His answer was no. In 2 Corinthians 12:9, God answered, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." And how did Paul respond to that no from God? This is what he said in verse 10. "Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses." so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, would God have been glorified if Paul had prayed and God had answered him by taking away the torment? Absolutely. But even though God's no answer to Paul's prayer is not what Paul wanted, it's even better than what he asked. Because it allows him to glorify God even more. Because God's power is made perfect in our weakness. So you didn't get what you asked from God. Maybe it's just that he knows better than you. What is good for you. The question is, will you accept that? That's our first question. Do we really trust God? Because if we do, we trust that his no is better than a yes could ever have been. Here's the second question we should ask ourselves when we pray. Am I asking for the wrong thing? Am I asking for something that's not in line with God's will? Am I asking for the right thing, but for the wrong reasons? And you might think, well, true Christians don't ever pray for anything that's not in line with God's will. The truth is, we are all sinful people, and we may be asking for sinful things. When a Christian who struggles with alcohol pleads to God, please God, just give me one more drink. They are not asking for something in line with God's will. When we are greedy and we pray for stuff because we want more stuff and we want better stuff and we want more, better stuff, (laughs) we're not praying in line with God's will. Is there something wrong with stuff? No. But there's a difference between asking God for your daily bread and asking him for your daily caviar. Again, God has spoken through James and he has something to say about asking for stuff for the wrong reasons. Man, when you want a straight talking answer about the Christian life, just go straight to James because James is like a hammer. He nails us for what we really are. This is what he has to say about praying for the wrong reasons. This is in chapter four, verse one of James. He says, what causes fights And quarrels among you. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire something but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive. Because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James doesn't mince words. And don't even think for a moment, oh, but James is talking about those non-Christians, all those terrible people who fight and kill and covet. Of course, God won't give them what they want. James is not writing to non-Christians. James is writing to Christians. James is writing to Christians who have a battle of their desires within themselves. He's writing to Christians whose desires lead them to kill. He is writing to Christians who covet and that causes them to fight and quarrel. Christians whose prayers are answered no by God because they are greedy and selfish. Now again, we have to pause for a moment and see what James is really saying. James cannot be saying that God never answers yes to the prayers of sinful people. If that were the case, you would never have seen a yes answer to prayer. Because we all fall short. That's not the point that James is making. And you should not say, well, I'm sinful, so I guess I shouldn't pray. If you say that, you weren't listening to what James said. He said, you do not have because you do not ask God. The point that James is making is God is generous, but he also cares about how you live your life. He cares about your motives. He wants your motives to align with his motives in our prayers, and in our whole life. But where can we find out what God's will is and what God's motives are? It's in the Bible! (laughs) How do you know that quarreling and fighting are bad? It's in the Bible! How do you know that killing and coveting are wrong? It's in the Bible! How can we be sure that when we're praying... We're praying with the right motives, not just to spend what we get on our pleasures. We reflect on our motives and we compare them to what we find in the Bible. We must not and we can not take up God's perfect form of communicating with him in prayer while we ignore god's perfect form of communicating with us through scripture it's a two-way street and sometimes our motives are not wicked but god's plan is still different to what we ask here's a prayer from mark 14:36 abba Father, Jesus said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Jesus didn't want to be crucified. Is it wrong to want to not be crucified? No, of course not. But Jesus knew God's will. He knew that God's answer was no because God had a plan for the salvation of everyone who believes. And Christ accepted it. And he said, yet not what I will, but what you will. And aren't we glad that God said no to Jesus's prayer that night? Because our eternal futures rely on that no. So like Christ, we must accept that sometimes when we pray, it's not what we will, but what God wills that will be done. So question one, do I really trust God? Question two, am I asking for the wrong thing? Here's the third, the last question. That we should ask ourselves when we pray or when God says no. Am I asking to escape the consequences of sin? Now I want to clear up first of all, I believe there is one prayer that God always answers yes to. And that prayer is, Lord, save me. God will never say no if we ask him To save us. But just because Christians are saved from eternal punishment does not mean that the consequences of sin in this world just pass us by. Sometimes they might, but sometimes they will not. I don't know how many times I have heard students praying, God, please give me good test results because I didn't study. Sometimes they do fine. Mostly, they do not. God forgives them, but the consequence of not studying is not getting good marks. Possibly the most tragic example in scripture is David's prayer for his sick son, born of his adulterous liaison with Bathsheba. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 12. God tells David through the prophet Nathan, Because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. And David tries everything. He pleads with God. He weeps. He fasts. He wears sackcloth. He prostrates himself on the ground. But God says no. On the seventh day, David's little boy dies. He doesn't even make it to circumcision. His little boy dies without the symbol of God's covenant with his people. Now, I've never lost a child. I have no idea how painful that must have been for David and how painful it must have been for Bathsheba. It must have hurt David all the more to know that his child died because of his sin against God. So I don't know how he felt, but I wish that I could have David's response to God's no. When the child dies, he gets up, he cleans himself off, he goes into the house of the Lord, and he worships. He says, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. That is faith. For as long as there was a hope, David was prepared to do everything he could to pursue it because David knew that God is gracious. But when God's answer was a clear no, David accepted it. He had to live with it. Now, for most of us, we don't get a prophet of the Lord coming and telling us that a terrible thing that is happening to us is a consequence of a specific sin. David was the king of God's people, he had done something terrible, and God made it clear what the situation was. But sometimes it will be clear for us too. Do some prison ministry. And you will meet plenty of Christians in prison who know that God has paid the price for their sin and yet wish they had never committed the crimes they are now locked up for. They wish they had never hurt the people they hurt. But they can't go back and undo what they did. Even though they are saved, the consequences of their sin continue to haunt them. Of course, there's nothing wrong with praying that God will graciously save us from those consequences. As David said, maybe God will be gracious. But if his answer is no, we must accept it because sin has consequences. This brings me to what is perhaps the most difficult prayer there is to receive a no to. When we pray for our loved ones to be saved, and they die, seeming to reject Jesus. I don't think there's a prayer that can shake our faith more when it is answered no. Because we know that it's God's will that people be saved. We know Our motives are good. We want someone to be saved. We know that we trust God for salvation because there is no other way. We feel like, I've done everything right here, God. We're also praying for people we dearly love. Parents, children, siblings, friends. But when they die denying God, turning their back on Christ... Oh man, that hurts. Of all the prayers we could ever pray, why would God answer no to this one? I've prayed this prayer for God to save people, and I've seen people saved. But I also prayed for my mother for years, she was not a believer. She blamed God her entire life for the bad things that happened to her. And they were pretty bad. But she could not accept that God would allow people to hurt her. And even worse, that if they asked for forgiveness, God would forgive them. She said, if God can forgive them, I cannot forgive God. Now, my mother didn't die suddenly. Like her mother, she suffered from dementia. And so her life, her consciousness, her decision-making, they slipped away from her over a period of about 12 years. She died on the 4th of October in 2016, while Penny and I were in the middle of missionary training to come to Namibia. Now, there are some people who say... You never really know what decisions someone makes in their last moments before death. You can't know how they conclude their life's business with God. And I believe in deathbed confessions of faith. The workers who only come in at the last hour and yet get paid the full amount. But I also know that wide is the gate. And broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I don't believe my mother changed her mind. She made her choice, and she stuck to it. And I won't pretend to be happy about the fact that my mother is most likely not going to be with us in the new heaven and the new earth. I don't think God wants me to be happy about it because I don't think God is happy about it either. If it breaks my heart that my mother was not a Christian when she died, how much does it break God's heart who sent his only son to die for her, only for her to reject him? I can't be angry at a God who I know knew my mother perfectly and gave her every chance she would ever need to freely choose him and who mourns her loss more than I ever will. Because God made sure that I was praying for her the whole time. You might remember a few weeks ago when Paul Gunning was preaching. He was talking about when Hannah prayed for a child. And he said God had set up the entire situation to make sure that she was praying for what God wanted as part of his plan. And there is a very real sense that when we pray, we are involved in perfect communication, not just between us and God, but between God and God. God doesn't simply hear our voice. He hears his own voice through the Holy Spirit in us. That means that when God answers, he's not only answering us, but he is in fact answering himself. And so just like God the Son praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, To God the Father, praying that this cup would be taken from him. And the Father having to answer his son's prayer with no. Sometimes even when we pray the prayer that is most in line with God's will. The prayer that is on God's very own lips. That those around us would be saved. God may have to turn back to himself and answer his own prayer with no. And what response are we left with? None but that of Christ. Not what I will, but what you will. I've come to the end of my sermon, and I have yet to quote C.S. Lewis. (laughs) But since that is a New Song tradition... Let me finish with a poem that C.S. Lewis wrote about prayer. It's simply called Prayer. And it sums up this idea of God speaking to himself, I think, quite beautifully. Master, they say that when I seem to be in speech with you, since you make no replies, it's all a dream. One talker aping two. They are half right, but not as they imagine. Rather, I seek in myself the things I meant to say, and lo, the wells are dry. Then, seeing me empty, you forsake the listener's role, and through my dead lips breathe, and into utterance wake the thoughts I never knew. And thus, you neither need reply nor can. For, while we seem two talking, thou art one forever, and I no dreamer, but thy dream. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us a perfect form of communication with you. Lord, we thank you the lines are never down. Lord, we thank you that you can hear not just our thoughts, but even know our feelings. And Lord, we thank you that you translate those into something perfect for you. Lord, as we seek to pray, help us to always seek your will and your motives. And help us, when we reflect on our own motives, to do that truthfully and not to deceive ourselves. And Lord... When you do answer no, and we know that sometimes you will, give us that faith that you gave Christ to be able to say, not what I will, but what you will. And in his name we pray. Amen. This is Rico Oveca, and I'm also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today. And it is my hope that you'll join us again for another New Song Family Church Podcast.